This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is the Tuesday night of LSU week. That means it is time for Tide Talk with myself, Travis Schreier, and of course, Charlie Potter does an outstanding job covering the Alabama Crimson Tide for BamaOnline.com. It's a late night Tide Talk on a Tuesday. You don't need Kimmel. You don't need Fallon, Charlie. You don't need Colbert. You've got Tide Talk late night on this Tuesday following Alabama's heartbreaking 81-80 to loss and the debut of Nate Oates as head men's basketball coach at the University of Alabama to a very capable and potential NCAA tournament team in the Quakers of Pennsylvania. Charlie, let's get it going, my man. We're going to start with hoops. And if anything, got to feel really uh, a good bit of compassion for Kyra Lewis after the way things went down Tuesday night at Coleman Coliseum. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, it, it's been a pretty eventful last four hours uh, over at Coleman with the with the basketball game going on, with the first college football playoff rankings going on. But, um, you know, the way that uh, the game against Penn ended, uh, um, it, it was tough to watch. Um, you know, you and I were talking about it before we jumped on this podcast. It's a situation that Alabama fans, Nate Oates, everyone, um, you know, watching that game, it would, would want to be in uh, Alabama's trailing by one with, I think it was 2.4 seconds left on the clock and Kyra Lewis is going to the free throw line to shoot two. And uh, the sophomore who I believe was earlier this, this week, he was named a first team all SEC um, team member as uh, for the league coaches. And you would expect him to, to make that. He had 30 points going to the line and, and he missed both free throws and he was, you know, visibly upset, um, just extremely emotional heading to the locker room. And, um, you know, Nate Oates uh, said after the game, I asked him just, you know, what did you say to Kyra? Because he was so emotional. And he said he just picked him up off the floor and, and looked him in the eyes and said that, you know, we didn't lose this game because you missed two free throws. It was a million other things that went wrong. And, and it was. Um, Alabama couldn't score near the rim. Uh, it was a sloppy game. They had a ton of turnovers. And, um yeah, it, it wasn't from a lack of effort, but my number two, you know, he had a game high 30 points and without that, they're not in that situation in the first place, but it was just a, a tough way to, to lose the game. Um, the first game this season, first game of, of NATO's tenure, but um, I think if they can clean some of these things up and, and get some guys healthy, they can be able to maybe knock some of those out in the future. Yeah. Alabama scored 45 points in the second half. And really, it was an uphill battle from the early minutes there early in the second half. Alabama couldn't throw it in the Black Warrior River from the dock in terms of three points. And you said it, too. Even finishing around the rim, shooting in general in the second half was a real problem until a 19-9 run there down the stretch actually put Alabama in front on that Kyra Lewis. By the way, it was Kyra Lewis. Uh, who hit the three to put Alabama up at 80 to 79. But 
free throws have been a bugaboo for this program in recent years. As we know, it sort of reared its ugly head once again on Tuesday night. Um, but it just felt like that entire second half, again, Alabama comes out cold to start the, the second half. Penn hits some shots, gets up by eight. And it just felt like, Charlie, that Alabama was working uphill. And working uphill is tough because that means you need stops. And for three quarters of that game Tuesday night, Alabama didn't have its best defender as Herb Jones went out about uh, the midway point of the first half. Yeah, he did. He left with a, a hyperextended elbow, and it was kind of a scary fall. Um, you know, he kind of felt awkwardly after blocking a shot and, uh, you know, left the floor. He didn't go to the bench. He went straight to the locker room before halftime with uh, head trainer Clark Holter. And uh, after the game, Nate Oates said that it was a hyperextension. Um, he will be getting an MRI tomorrow, and uh, he's day-to-day. So, um, you know, they're going to see how things go. Uh, hope They hope it's nothing major, but you can never be too sure. Hyperextension, um, it's about the best you could probably hope for in a, in a situation like that. But, yeah, um, you know, Herb is one of their better defenders. He's a, a two-way player, and um, you know, it kind of – there was a lull in the game after that point. You'll have to forgive me because I missed basically um, the start of the second half because running into the media room to watch – you know, Reese Davis and, and Kirk Herbstreet and those guys reveal the playoff rankings. It seemed to take forever because they were doing it in between the Duke and Kansas and Kentucky-Michigan State game. But, um, you know, Kirk uh, McNair, our colleague there, was holding down the Ford up on press row. And uh, by the time I got back up there, it was a little closer. Alabama had gone on that run and uh, were making things interesting. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was um, – I think it – I don't remember who it was. I, I hate that I can't, you know – correctly attribute them but uh someone joked that somewhere Avery Johnson was smiling and saying it's a tale of two halves and and that's exactly what it was for Alabama yeah 35-35 it was really an even basketball game 35-35 at the half Penn comes out goes on an 8-0 run again and kind of gets that separation that it was able to play with for pretty much uh the remainder of the second half until at about 70 to 61 or so you know, Alabama sort of caught fire a little bit. A big point also there in that stretch. It's a 74-73 pin lead. Looks like Alabama may get a breakaway layup to take the lead. Instead, can't hang on, can't possess the basketball. And with that, uh, it was Dingle, I believe. It, yeah, it was uh, Jordan Dingle for Penn, who turns right around and knocks down a three to push it back out to 77-73. And a team in the early stages of a new coaching staff and a new regime. How many times have you heard it? Got to figure out how to win these kind of games and give Penn a lot of credit, by the way. It's a veteran team, a team that's going to challenge in the Ivy League, a team that might very well show up again in the NCAA tournament come March. And I thought Penn's experience at times, and A.J. Berdour, the post player for Penn, you know, we've talked about it in the past. Some of the the, the, the thin nature that Alabama's dealing with right now uh, in those post spots, Charlie. I, I thought that showed up. Berdour uh, goes for 19 and 10 uh, for Penn. Alabama, meanwhile, its three post players in the game combined for eight points and nine rebounds. So just Berdour by himself uh, was a, a handful. Um, but in that half-court defense, with Herb Jones out, there were times, again, when you needed stops. Uh, that they were difficult to come by. And, 
you know, you talk about Herb Jones and the potential for, you know, what his elbow injury uh, might entail. You said it. We'll know more about that perhaps on Wednesday, certainly as we move closer to Florida Atlantic, Alabama's next game on Monday. Um, such a guard-oriented team right now, though, right? And I, I thought there were some pleasant surprises for Alabama in the game. After Herb Jones went out, you know, you wonder about some roles for some of these guys. I mean, you know Jaden Shackelford is going to be looked upon to, to score. He didn't shoot it particularly well in this game. Six of 20 from the field, three of 13 from beyond the three-point arc. Um, but you saw that, yeah, there are some things like Jalen Forbes, another true freshman, can give you defensively. Um, but but did this game sort of play out in a way, Charlie, that is, is kind of – you know, the other side of all that positivity coming out of that Georgia Tech performance when this team doesn't shoot it particularly well, especially in the second half when it shot 19 percent from three Tuesday night, that this is kind of the situation it can find itself in. Yeah, no doubt. Um, it has the talent and it has capable shooters, but if they're not hitting, it's, it's going to be tough because uh, depth is a little weird right now. Um, you're losing Herb before the uh, before her intermission hurt, and you're left with you know Alex Reese, who was playing with kind of a bum hip. He hasn't practiced in the last four days, and then uh, Galen Smith and Javian Davis, who's playing in his first regular season game ever. Yeah. Uh, those are your big men, and so I think you know it, it kind of reared its head to show what the losses of, of guys like Jawan Gary and James Rojas will mean to this team. Um, it'll be big if, if Alabama can get some good news on Javon Quinterly because they have another scorer out there yeah. and a guy that's capable of knocking down shots. Um, you know, they're going to have a conference call on Monday of next week before the Florida Atlantic game. And usually um, I think it's by the time that calls over or shortly after they're going to have a resolution to find out his status. And I think they feel pretty good about it, but you, you never know with the NCAA, it kind of seems like it's a little bipolar in his decisions, but if they can get a guy like Javon Quinterly uh, eligible, that kind of takes away some of these um, depth issues, but it does give you another score. But, you know, like you said, they were four of 21 uh, in the second half shooting from beyond the arc and they were taking a lot of shots. This, these guys have the green light from Nate Oates. Um, you know, but it, it's going to be up to guys like Kyra, who I thought played really well, um, Shackelford, um, of course, John Petty uh, with, with his um, range on the floor. A guy like Beetle Bolden can give them that spark. They're going to have to make shots and, um, and and play a lot of minutes because they're going to need those shooters to make plays. Yeah, I sat up in those $5 seats at Coleman Coliseum on Tuesday night, and I ended up behind an Alabama fan who throughout the game, Charlie, sounded a lot like me when each of our three kids were learning how to drive when they were 15, and that he kept yelling, slow down, slow down. <laughs> but hey, look, this is going to be Alabama basketball, right? Under Nate Oates. I mean, it, 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 there are going to be times where the shots don't fall and those type of things, but you watch him on the sideline throughout the game, he is constantly exhorting his players to get going on offense, to push the ball. And even in the half court, he doesn't like the ball sticking at all. I mean, he wants the ball working in a way in which the bucket is going to be uh, threatened and, and early in the shot clock. So if you're concerned about some of the sloppy nature of Tuesday night's play, some of the missed shots, some of the threes that didn't go in, well, 
I guess you could say you better buckle up, right? Because there's more <laughs> of this coming in terms of the style of play. He, this isn't going to change. No, it's not. Um, that's something he's preached from from day one. That's why, um, you know, with this pace, that that's why I made it a point to uh, feature their strength and conditioning coach before the yeah. season started. Uh, not only did he have a good story to tell, being from uh, military background, but he, he has his hands full of getting this team uh, conditioned to to play the way that Oates wants to play. He was very fiery along the bench, um, and that that is funny that you say that because you know you, you could almost hear the polar opposite back whenever Anthony Grant was the coach. And sometimes during every Johnson's tenure, just fans wanted to see them uh, play faster and play with more urgency. And, and that's not going to be a problem under Nate Oates. I can promise you that. We saw that, um, you know, in the Georgia Tech game. We saw it in this game. And it did lead to some turnovers. Alabama turned the ball over 15 times, which I believe resulted in 18 points off of those turnovers. But um, it, it's a it's a pretty fun brand of basketball but they're going to have to clean up some of their sloppy mistakes and, and score more when they get closer to the rim because you know that to me was one of the the glaring issues. They they played with a, a small lineup, but uh, those guys are going to have to be more effective, um, you know, in the paint. Yeah, other than Kyra, finishing around the rim was a real issue for Alabama throughout the game. Um, and look, replay down the stretch was sort of a fifty-fifty Alabama. Uh, benefited from one overturn of a deflection late in the game. Petty's tip in, I'm not sure if you were able to see it on replay or have seen it since the end of the game. Uh, Very questionable as to whether or not that ball was still in the cylinder as it was called on an offensive goaltend by John Petty. But again, these are the things in close games that sort of, you know, can go either way. And that's why when you have the opportunity, especially in situations like the free throw line, like around the bucket, uh, you got to take care of business. And and this isn't a bad loss, by the way. Again, this is a pin team that's going to prove, I think, to be more than capable team that beat Villanova last year, uh, did pin. So, you know, and besides all that, with, with the exception of a, a few cases, there really isn't anything, it really isn't such a thing is a bad loss on November the 5th, is there? No, I mean, you know, this is the third time Alabama's played an opponent, but they've been pretty vanilla, I think, in the past. And um, they're playing a lot of young players. Um, you know, the, the newcomers were out in full force. I know like we mentioned that two are sidelined by injury. And then, you, of course, you have Quinterly sitting out waiting on his appeal process. And, and uh, Raymond Hawkins didn't play in the game. But you know, Jaden Shackelford started, and he started because – uh, Alex Reese and Beetle Bolden didn't play because or uh, didn't practice the last four days because of kind of lingering uh, injuries. Reese has a hip issue and, and Beetle Bolden uh, hurt his wrist in practice or hand, uh, maybe in the combination of the two. But Shackelford started. Um, you know, Beetle Bolden's new to this program, new to this system. He played a lot of minutes. Uh, Jalen Forbes gave them a boost, and, and a guy like uh, Javian Davis is playing in only his. Um, you know, first couple of games uh, ever because he redshirted last year. So I think that uh, inexperience um, is a thing. And the thing about this game, this opponent, and um, you know, their head coach mentioned it afterwards, is they're very similar um, in what their philosophy is and what they want to do. But Penn is a more experienced team. They've been doing it in this yeah. system. So uh, I think Alabama will be okay. I don't think there's any 
reason to panic right now. And I think, you know, you, you cross your fingers for some good news. You don't want to see Herb Jones miss a lot of time or maybe any time with this injury. They have almost a week before their next game. And then um, if they can get Quinterly cleared, uh, that'll be huge just for their offensive production. But um, they played a good team, a team that will likely be competing for a spot in the NCAA tournament and a team that's that's very like-minded in their approach. It's just they've had a lot more time to to finesse and to um, work on that. And, and they have a lot of uh, talented players. I think they have four guys scoring double digits. And, and Brodeer, he's a dude. Uh, yeah, he, he showed is. that He showed that uh, on uh, Tuesday night. Yeah, I think when it's all said and done and in film study and film review on Wednesday, uh, and, and probably Nate Oates felt this way when he was walking off the floor Tuesday night, he probably, I got to think, liked the way his team played in terms of pace and hustle and aggression and those type of things. It just didn't play well enough, you know, and so you can kind of live with it a little bit. Although when I hear Nate Oates in the post game, he's one of those guys that sounds like a, a loss in November the 5th guts him as much as one in the NCAA tournament come March. So and you like that. If you're an Alabama fan, that's what you want. That's what you have to have uh, at a place like Alabama when you're trying to get basketball in a place where it once was many, many years ago. Charlie Potter and Travis Ryer here on a late Tuesday night edition of Tide Talk here on the Built by Bama online podcast. If you haven't already, give us a subscription if you don't mind. Subscribe to the podcast. Maybe leave a review for us while you're there as well. Charlie, you touched on it a few moments ago. The initial release of the college football playoff rankings on Tuesday night, it is Ohio State in that number one slot. I kind of figured it would be LSU, but instead it's the Buckeyes, LSU at two, Alabama at three. And what about Penn State at number four and Clemson at five, Charlie? Yeah, I thought that Alabama would probably be in the third spot just because um, you you hear how much this committee breaks things down, whether it's passing the eye test, uh, strength of schedule. And I think Alabama's passed the eye test. Um, The defense might not be what we've been used to seeing uh, in past years, but I think it's rounded into to form and um, you know, the, the offense was moving pretty well against Arkansas. I know it is Arkansas, but um, even with Mike Jones at quarterback, but they just don't have the signature win as of yet. I guess your, your win and that you hang your hat on would be the Texas A&M game. And, and that's not um, you know, something that's going to compete with the likes of an LSU who has wins over Texas and, uh, Florida and Auburn. And I just thought that those three wins would kind of push the Tigers ahead of Ohio State, but um, Ohio State's playing at a level where they're playing extremely well on both sides of the football. We've talked a lot this week, and we're going to probably continue to do so before the game on Saturday about these uh, offenses for Alabama and LSU, and, and their defenses are playing pretty well too, but um, when you have a guy like Chase Young on the defensive side of the ball and, and their offense is putting up points like they are and, and just beating teams like a drum, uh, I think that speaks volumes for you know what the, the committee is looking for. Again, though, I mean, it is November 5th. There are going to be several more of these rankings to go before the regular season ends and uh, conference championship Saturday. But um, I think that Ohio State has a good case for the number one team in the country. And uh, this is this is a – a rankings that seems like it could, you know, 
continue throughout the the course of the season. Of course, you know Alabama and LSU are going to play on Saturday. Um, you know Penn State and Ohio State are going to face off. We'll see what happens with Clemson. Uh, Oklahoma's still out there in the mix. The team's in the Pac-12, but, but this isn't a, a case where we have the two Mississippi schools, Florida State and Auburn, like we did the first ever college football rankings, um, college football playoff rankings. I, I think that they got it pretty close to right. I'd probably put Clemson at the number four spot, but you know, I, with me sitting there waiting to hit publish on this story as soon as everything came out, <laughs> I had a good feeling they were going to have Alabama at number three. It just seemed like that was the way they were going to go. Yeah, I don't think Alabama at three was a surprise at all given the resumes of both LSU and Ohio State. Uh, I'm with you. I would have probably had Clemson at four, although, again, Clemson's quality win to this point is the same quality win that Alabama has, with the exception being Alabama at least went on the road to beat Texas A&M. And when you look at Clemson down the stretch here, uh, probably the Tigers' biggest game, toughest game, might be a home game with Wake Forest on November the 16th, do have to go to Columbia to take on South Carolina on the 30th of the month. And all this is going to work itself out. It's great for a conversation starter and to, to keep people talking about college football as if they need another reason. Uh, but yeah, when you've got Alabama and LSU playing this week, um, you've got the SEC championship game down the road. If you're Georgia, if you went out and you're the Bulldogs, you're still in great shape from the SEC perspective. You said it about the Pac-12. Oregon and Utah are almost cinches, I guess, at this point to play in the Pac-12 championship game. Oklahoma's not out of this thing. I think it's at Oklahoma down around 8 or 9, though, where the cutoff comes in. Because once you get past Oklahoma, you're talking about some two-loss teams. And I thought this spoke well for the SEC Charlie, in that Florida and Auburn, a pair of two loss teams from the SEC, actually ranked ahead of undefeated Baylor out of the Big 12, although Baylor still has TCU, Oklahoma, Texas, and Kansas. So I guess the point being, right, we still got a long, long way to go. Even though it's early November, we still have a lot of football to play. Yeah, we do. And um, I think Saturday's game is obviously big, the Alabama LSU game. It, it kind of. You know, it's almost like a wet blanket was thrown on it a little bit just because everybody was touting this as one versus two, but you know, two versus three will have to do. But a lot of these teams are going to be facing each other. It's just I don't think we're going to have just things come out of left field like they did in the, the first playoff rankings. I think they've kind of figured things out and they can always move. Um, you know, next week complete, could be completely different. I imagine the winner of, of this game here in Tuscaloosa uh, that seems like everybody and their mother is going to be at will be the number one team after this just because you're going to have that win that nobody else can can claim and you'll still be undefeated. But the team that loses this game also is not going to drop that far. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they're at um, you know five or six come the rankings next week. So uh, there is a lot of football to be played. Um, teams like Oklahoma can still you know get back into this. I'm not sure um, you know what the Pac-12 can do because they're going to have to play each other. I was kind of surprised to see both of those schools uh, ranked ahead of Oklahoma, uh, considering that you know Kansas State was among the top 20. I believe they're at 16, and that's the team that beat Oklahoma. So uh, it is interesting, and, and it is you know I mean people make a lot about uh, these rankings. I think they're they're entertaining, but at the, at the end of the day, that, that's all they are. They won't mean anything until after the conference championships are played. But that's the, the beautiful thing about college football is that, you know, you and I have jobs because people have interest in this and a very high level of interest. 
interest in it. And we're sitting here at 11:17 on a Tuesday talking about <laughs> these rankings. So it's, it's it's always fun, and um, you know I, I'm looking forward to to seeing what what plays out the rest of the year. Yeah, the SEC with three teams in the top six Tuesday night that would seem to speak pretty favorably for another multi bid opportunity for the Southeastern Conference in the college football playoff, which of course would mark the second time in the last three years for the SEC from that perspective. Uh, For this Alabama team specifically, we are two days in to the practice week coming off the bye week. I guess you could say we're two days in because (laughs) all of the interest or most of the interest where the Alabama camp is concerned is that injured right ankle. Uh, Tua Tonga Bailoa. Uh, you've been out at practice the last couple of days. I was out there on Tuesday. Did you notice any difference between Monday and, say, Tuesday, Charlie, where Tua Tonga Bailoa is concerned in that very brief media viewing opportunity that we've had? Not too much. Um, he did kind of seem to take a little bit of a break. Uh, on Tuesday, Monday, he was kind of throwing the whole time, especially from the jump when we got out there and everybody raced to the edge of the sideline to get a photo or video of it. But, uh, you know, when we got out there today, he was on a knee and, and watching some of the, the quarterbacks. But later he got up and did some throwing and he was moving around well. And um, I think that's that's big because. You know, the thing that Nick Saban said on Monday is, you know, they're going to you know, Monday's practice was going to be very indicative of what happened the rest of the week. Basically, if he went out there Monday and he looked good, uh, that his rep counts were going to continue to go up and they're going to prepare him as if he's going to have an opportunity to play in this game. And uh, if he doesn't, if he has any kind of setback, then that would obviously change the plan. Uh, the plan is to get him and Mac Jones uh, equal amount of reps um, for most of the week. But if Tua was performing well on Monday and probably continue that on Tuesday. He would probably continue to see his reps increase and be prepared to to play against the Tigers. And nothing that I saw, and again, it was, like you said, a very brief viewing period, suggested that he had any kind of setback. They're being cautious with him. That's expected. I'm sure they know when we're out there and tease a little bit and, you know, he's on a knee to begin things. But and taking things easy between reps, but that's to be expected. The guy's a few days removed from surgery, and by game time, it'll be 20 days after surgery. So um, I think they're just being cautious with Tua, which is to be expected. But from everything we've seen, everything we've heard, everything that's been said by the um, by Nick Saban and the players is that he, he's doing well. He's doing everything that he needs to do. And so far, it sounds like he is either on schedule a little bit ahead of it and hasn't had any kind of setback, which is good news for Alabama. Now, overshadowed by Tua's situation is the fact that Alabama came out of that Arkansas game with a good bit of guys either nicked up going into the game, nicked up coming out of the win over the Hogs. And certainly in the days that followed, we got some big news in that Miller Forstall, the starting tight end for the Crimson Tide, going to miss the next several weeks after a voice box injury. Uh, that required uh, uh, repair, I guess. So with all those things in mind, what what have you sort of cobbled together, put together, heard from Nick Saban, seen for yourself, heard for yourself as far as the overall health of this team going into LSU outside of the the 10,000-pound uh, gorilla, and that is to a situation. What, what about everybody else, Charlie? 
Yeah, when, once you sift through all the Tua stuff, um, you know, the, the two guys that have not done anything really when we've been out there is Will Reichert, the kicker, who's going to be questionable for this game. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play against LSU. And then, of course, Miller Forstall, who's out for the remainder of the regular season. Uh, I saw him when we were walking off the field. Uh, he was in the weight room. Like he had a pretty big bandage on his throat, and he was standing uh, near LeBron Ray, who was actually moving around without any kind of walking boot or anything. We haven't seen him practice, so I don't expect him to you know, be ready for to go in this game, but he's a guy that will probably be back on the field sooner than later, but it's been kind of over that six-week window that it, Nick Saban initially said. But the guys that were either injured in the Arkansas game or were held out before it, all of them have, have done things this week. Um, the two offensive linemen, Evan Neal, who was dealing with the groin injury, and Landon Dickerson, who kind of had an undisclosed injury. There was kind of a mix-up in the, the post-game press conference, but he was limited to begin the bye week. Both of those guys on Tuesday were moving really well. They were at the front of their respective uh, position lines, working side-by-side by side in, in left guard and center drills, and um, you know, I think they're going to be fine for the game. Um, a guy like Najee Harris, even though you know when we're outside, the, the running backs seem to be in Northport. Um, you know, he's been you know, doing some good things and he's taken some things easy. He missed um, one of the viewing periods last week and I don't think it was anything big. Uh, Nick Saban said he's going to be fine. Um, Devontae Smith doing that bruised shoulder. He's been running routes and, and doing things like normal. Um, you know, the defensive backs, Jared Maiden and Shaheem Carter. Um, you know, Jared Maiden had a groin injury. Shaheem Carter had a knee injury. Uh, they've been doing uh, everything that we've seen. Jared Maiden might have been a little bit limited, but you know, once you start doing things with you know angle tackling drills, I think you're you're going to be good for the game. And then I believe the last one would be Ali Kaho, the linebacker. He's a guy that um, he's no longer wearing that black no contact jersey. He ha- still has the cast on his left hand, uh, but that you know we've seen plenty of Alabama linebackers play with those and a guy that wasn't on the report uh markel benton has had a brace on his knee but he's been limited in individual drills but worked in you know um nickel and dime drills and that's kind of been the mo for him since that hamstring injury kind of crept up on him but the guys that were either held out of the game or were injured in the arkansas game they've all done things in practice they're progressing and i think all of them are going to be fine for saturday's lsu game As we get out of here on a late night uh, with Tide Talk, uh, it is Charlie Potter and myself, Travis Ryer of the BamaOnline.com staff. Charlie, I got one more question for you in advance of Saturday's matchup between the Alabama Crimson Tide and the LSU Tigers. The most important player for Alabama Saturday not named Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Who is that guy in your opinion? Oh, that's tough. Um, it has to be a linebacker for me, but it, it's tough to pick one. Um, I think I would probably make it a tie between uh, Terrell Lewis and Shane Lee, a couple guys up from the DMV area. Uh, if Terrell Lewis is able to do what he's been doing lately and just basically live in opposing backfields, get pressure on Joe Burrow, that's going to be huge for Alabama. And uh, I think that a guy like Shane Lee – you know, he's kind of been susceptible a little bit in coverage. Uh, I think you know Christian Harris is obviously the better of the two in that regard, but he's a guy that 
you know, has defensive back in his background from high school just a year ago. But uh, I think with what he's able to do running sideline to sideline and just managing the defense and kind of, you know, playing chess with Joe Burrow would be really big in this game. Um, I, you could go a number of different ways with this, though. I think, you know, we talked about it today before practice. Whoever's playing, um, you know, in the slot uh, against um, uh, Al- or LSU's number three receiver, probably a guy like Shaheem Carter who plays star a lot. Uh, he's going to be really big just because Alabama's corners have played uh, pretty consistently all year, but they're going to be they're going against three really good receivers. So I could go a number of ways, but those linebackers, uh, I think the way that they play, the pressure they're able to get uh, on Joe Burrow and just um, you know, playing contain, whether it's with him or uh, the running backs, is going to be really big in this game. Yeah, I got to go with a defensive player, too, and I think the linebackers make a lot of sense. I'm going to go with Raekwon Davis. And this is the kind of game why you came back for your senior year, if you're Raekwon Davis. You wanted to prove yourself. You wanted to improve your National Football League draft stock. This is the game on Saturday. With no Quinnen Williams this year, with no Deron Payne, and those guys were absolute uh, dominant presences against the Tigers. I mean, Quinnen Williams in last year's game, that was essentially like a first-round knockout last year in Baton Rouge because of Quinnen Williams. It became very evident early in that game. LSU had no answer for Quentin Williams. He had three and a half tackles for loss, two and a half sacks. You know, I don't think Raquan Davis has to have those type of numbers necessarily on Saturday, but he has to be a down in and down out presence that the interior of that LSU offensive line has to deal with. Uh, if he can do that, I think a lot of things right at the middle of that defense can take care of itself. Because then you have on the edges Terrell Lewis and Anthony Jennings that I think in matchups with LSU's offensive tackles uh, have very favorable opportunities in front of them and pressuring Joe Burrow. But you still got to have that guy inside, especially in passing situations. And I think that's where Raquan Davis has to be big, big on Saturday. Well, Charlie, anything else for us as, uh, as we approach the midnight hour here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama? I don't think so. Um, seems like there's just so much to talk about this week, so it's hard to keep up with. Um, I guess just that fans need to know that the, the stadium is going to be opening up early. Uh, it's going to be opening yep. up at 1130 because um, there's going to be heightened security. The president's going to be in town. He's going to be going to the game reportedly. Um, they never try to, to share the whereabouts of the president, I know, but um, yeah, that's gotten out, and I'm sure he'll be there. You have game day and SEC Nation. So campus is, you know, before all of this stuff, it was going to be crazy, but, you know, you might as well. If you're not in Tuscaloosa now, um, you're going to be stuck in traffic. So, um, yeah, just just get there early and expect to, to wait in line for the – the security check-in because the Secret Service and all those guys are going to be in town and, and checking on everything. Yeah, it, that's uh, sage advice, especially after what we encountered at the uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium about a year and a half ago, I guess it was or so, right, for that national championship game. We didn't encounter it because we, we, we were there well early um, in advance of that kickoff with the Georgia Bulldogs. But, man, there were some very unfortunate fans, especially on a cold, rainy January night in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, that, that weren't as fortunate. So there you go. Charlie Potter, Travis Ryer. It is Tide Talk 
Tuesday nights right here on the Built by Bama Online podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, and keep it locked to BamaOnline.com for continuing coverage throughout game week as we take you up towards Saturday's colossal matchup between the Alabama Crimson Tide and the LSU Tigers. So long, everybody.